0: You're a 415, 415, 415. You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And
1: this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415er, hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on everyone? Welcome into another edition of the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 957 The Game, Mark Grandy, Evan Giddings, Mark, my man. It's a victory Sunday. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, Evan. Uh, as those of us watching on YouTube, myself included, can uh, see your backdrop at Levi's Stadium. Uh, what was uh, the environment like out there at Levi's and Santa Clara for this uh, win for the
1: 49ers? It was pretty damn cool. I will say it started on a bit of an uphill climb because apparently, according to those in the know, it was the worst parking situation and already a terrible parking situation at Levi's <laughs> Stadium. I guess one of the entrances was shut down and uh, oh, one of no. the causeways leading up to... I think it was the North side coming in from, from the one Oh one was, was sort of shut off. And I, I don't know, I Mark, I didn't end up getting into the press area. I simply just uh, parked about a mile and a half away and walked. And I feel like (laughs) the amount of time I spent walking, would have been doubled if I'd spent in the car just sitting there. So the pregame was a little bit tough, but then there was a lot of stars, a lot of obviously red and gold in the parking lot, and it was was a raucous environment. It felt like playoff football, and even though you look up at halftime, there's not a whole lot of points on the board, uh, people were equally as into it in both the first 30 and the final 30, and it felt like kind of that that physicality that toughness was like permanent permeating throughout the the stadium everyone was waiting for someone to do something and finally the the 49ers in my opinion won the the war of attrition today so it was a great environment to watch some playoff football and i was glad to be here
0: yeah sounded like a lot of fun uh the crowd was into it i mean the niners cowboys obviously a big matchup you don't need to tell niner fans anything more than that but kind of what you're talking about war of attrition it was a battle waiting for the offenses to to wake up and do something and i guess ultimately Uh, You know, you just have two really good defenses doing battle, and and maybe this is what we should have been expecting from the jump. I think something that stands out to me, Evan, and and we'll dive into all the specifics, but you think to last week against the Seahawks, the Niners offense puts up 41 points. They're rolling offensively. They won a game that way in the playoffs, and now they follow it up the very next week, and they win, as you said, a war of attrition, 19-12, to the final score against a bitter rival and the Cowboys. And now the Niners have proven that they they can win a game this way as well in the postseason. I think Niner fans and those that have watched a lot of Niner games this year, Evan, probably already knew that. But it is good to see it happen in the playoffs that they can win games in different ways. Now, clearly, things could have been a little bit smoother, better on offense, but you come out with the win on a day where your offense really wasn't all that efficient or all that effective, especially running the ball in the first half and you come out with the win, that's a still a major positive. So there are things uh, to maybe be a little concerned, or, concerned about or, or to make note of, but ultimately they come away with the win and they've proven to you that they can win games and in, in different ways now.
1: Yeah. And look, this is kind of something we talked about, maybe not, when Brock Purdy was taking over, but more so when Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback, is can your defense win you a football game in the playoffs? Now I know it required 19 points from the offense to get the job done, but the defense today was absolutely fantastic. And I know the Cowboys had some opportunities. We're going to go through it as well as talk about the offense and some of its inefficiencies. Uh, but the defense, to me, Mark, was the story of the game. I mean, Fred Warner was fantastic. Your boy yeah. Diamandore Lenore had an interception. Shout out Oregon Let's and. Go ahead and. you know, there was a couple of of plays that really turned the game on its head in favor of San Francisco, and it's because of the defense. And that is something I think we can come and have come to expect from this team. I mean, if you look at 19 points, that's the lowest offensive output by the 49ers since week 12, since Hmm. the New Orleans Saints held the 49ers to 13 points at home here at Levi's. And of course, Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback that day, and a lot of people in Myself included had some concerns about can they capitalize? Can they, you know, figure out ways to win? Well, that's what they did today. And the defense was the reason against a Dallas Cowboys offense that is no joke. I know they lost Tony Pollard in the first half of this football game, who's a big part of their offense, but. This is the number one red zone offense on the other side of the football field in Dallas, and they went one for three in the red zone today against the 49ers. That's a big reason why they won this football game and a big reason why they're moving on to Philadelphia is because despite maybe not having their best day offensively, and Brock Purdy certainly didn't, we'll get to him in a second, the defense stepped up when it had to, and like you said, Mark, got the job done.
0: Yeah, I mean, the defense, they forced those those two turnovers. You mentioned the uh, Diamador Lenore interception. They had another one as well. It was the, the Jimmy Ward deflect deflection of a pass intended for CeeDee Lamb down in the red zone. That was one of those red zone stops then bounced into the arms of Fred Warner. Uh, that was arguably one of the biggest plays of the games because not only yeah, did no it, it, it lead to a field goal for you before the half, but it basically took points off the board for the Dallas Cowboys. That was a huge momentum shifter. Uh, I want to go back to something you mentioned, Tony Pollard's injury. That had a, a gigantic impact on this game. He was giving the Cowboys chunks of yardage on the ground almost every time he touched the ball. Uh, you look at the numbers and the splits for the Cowboys, first half, the second half. They ran the ball decently in the first half, 55 yards in total. Uh, there's a, a lot of frustration over how the Niners ran the ball in that first half, 27 yards. Uh, more frustrating in this. Cowboys though the Cowboys only 21 yards on the ground in the second half Evan they finished with 76 yards in total on the ground the Niners were able to churn out some yards they also just sheerly ran the ball more often in the second half than they did in the first half 86 yards for the 49ers uh, but the combination of the run game getting going a little bit Evan Elijah Mitchell 11 of his 14 carries in the fourth quarter. The battering ram in the back foot for the 49ers. He was big late. And then the defense not letting Zeke Elliott do anything in the second half. Again, the Cowboys only 21 rush yards in the second half. That was huge. The Niners were aided by the fact that Tony Pollard was not in there. It's a big play. A big moment in this game was his injury. Unfortunately, it came came down to that. But credit the Niners' defense for slowing down. Zeke Elliott and whoever else was carrying the ball in that second half. You're not going to win many games in the postseason if you rush the ball for just 21 yards in a whole half of football. The Niners defense stood up.
1: Well, and and on the opposite side, Dallas, I thought did a fantastic job, too. And and you kind of called it on our preview episode, Mark, the fact that this defensive line was something that the 49ers had not seen before. And that's why I feel comfortable, despite maybe this being a slugfest of a football game and a 15-round bout that was won, not in unanimous decision by the 49ers. (laughs) I feel comfortable saying this was their most impressive win of the season, Hmm. and they kind of needed it. I think to get to the conference championship and not just because of what was on the line, obviously your season's done if you lose, but because the 49ers had to overcome issues that we had not seen before. And we did not know if they were up to the task of correcting mid game. Like you said, they didn't run the football well in the first half But Mark, they weren't good on first down at all in the first half. I just compiled a couple of numbers. And the one that stood out to me was the fact that on 13 first down plays in the first half, They averaged three and a half yards per play. So consistently, Brock Purdy was playing behind the sticks, second down, third down, and long. Meanwhile, Dallas did a pretty good job of moving the football and creating some third and shorts, even fourth and shorts. So they were much better on first down in the first half than San Francisco was, who recorrected things primarily through the air. This is a team that likes to run the football, but the 49ers – of their 18 first downs today, 11 of them were via the pass, or at least of, of plays that were run or pass. So Brock Purdy was dynamite on third down, especially in the second half when they needed him to be, even though you look up at some of his numbers and they were you know, kind of mediocre or paltry compared to what he'd been putting up. Even though it was not a, a, a runaway victory for the 49ers, this is the best team that they had played, in my opinion, by far this season. They beat them and did it in relatively dominant defensive fashion, that's a great sign for me moving, moving forward and why I feel like it's the best win that they've had this year.
0: That's an interesting conversation. I'm not so sure if, if I could go that far. I don't know. I think the win, maybe at the time, how dominant it was over Miami might stand out to me as more impressive. I, I don't know. I, I think it's certainly up there. And, you know, I, I mentioned at, at the top, you know, it's, it's important and impressive to you to be able to win games in different ways. And this is the first time we've seen kind of that bruise, you know, just kind of slug it out and come out on top. We haven't really seen that style for the 49ers much in Brock Purdy's tenure as the starter. Maybe you could call the Seattle game up in Seattle on that Thursday night game in week 15. Maybe that's the closest thing to it. That was what, 21 to 13? in that game, but that didn't have quite the defensive slugfest feel as this one did. There were big plays offensively. George Kittle had two long touchdowns in that play. This game felt different. So I think maybe I agree with you in the sense that, uh, you know, they, they want it in a way that they haven't against an opponent that they haven't uh, played someone at this level in a long time. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say that it was, the most impressive win of the season. I think it's in the conversation. Uh, But when you look at how they did it, I mean, this is the first game Brock Purdy hasn't thrown not just two touchdowns, but any touchdowns in a game. Uh, He didn't turn the ball over. That was big. The Niners win the turnover battle. That was obviously big.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
0: Uh, but it it did seem at times, Evan, that Kyle Shanahan, maybe it was because he knew that his defense was having a really good game. Maybe it was because uh, he he was in the lead and he just wanted to kill some clock. You mentioned the the conversions on third downs. though. That seemed to be the only time Kyle Shanahan was willing to call passes. I mean, it was run, 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 in, run. In run. the
1: second half, yeah. I'm yeah, with you.
0: In the second half. I mean, you look at their last two drives, Evan – uh, the the second to last drive where they took off eight minutes off the clock and uh, they got a field goal to make it that seven-point lead, which ultimately was the final score. They opened it up with a pass to George Kittle. After that, run, run, pass, run, run, pass, run, 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 pass, run. 12 plays, three passes, nine runs. The next drive where it was just the Elijah Mitchell battering ram drive where they just were killing clock pass to open up the drive run 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 pass i mean this was a team who was i don't know if scared to call the pass is the right word There were obviously reasons to run the ball but kyle shanahan was ultra conservative late in the game and you can understand why they're trying to kill clock they have a lead uh but you for the first time in the brock Purdy era evan you kind of got the sense that kyle shanahan was a little worried about his team's passing offense
1: yeah i'm with you and i don't think any drive i mean you mentioned the ones in the second half i do want to mention the fact that they effectively had three drives in the second half because they go three (laughs) and out to begin their first and then they pretty much just methodically move clock with the type of attack that you're saying which is on the ground picking up third downs and they need to brock purdy finding you know whether it's brandon iu christian mccaffrey or Jawan jennings who made some big plays down the stretch um he put the ball in his quarterback's hands when he needed to, but not as much as we've seen when perhaps some people would like to. Yeah. Uh, but but back to that, the end of the first half to me is where you saw Kyle Shanahan show his cards as far as what type of um, confidence level he had in his offense. And he talked about it a little bit post game. the 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 play we're talking about, or the you know the drive that we're talking about, essentially is they get the ball back with one fifteen. And that's right after the Tony Pollard injury. Fred Warner gets the pick off the Jimmy Ward deflection. Fantastic play. And they essentially run the ball twice. It looks like they're trying to run clock at the tail end of this first half. And they take about, I want to say 30 seconds off the clock with with one play. And then they end up, you know, having to to throw. They ended up hitting Jawan Jennings for sixteen yards over the middle with 12 seconds left. So Brock Purdy was dynamite on that play. And I think bailed out Kyle Shanahan from a lot of criticism from the way that he handled that final drive of the first half. But but he talked about it after the game, Mark, and just listening to him, I may not agree with it. But in his mind, I can see how it makes sense because his idea is Dallas with 115 left has two timeouts. They also get the ball back on the other side of the intermission. So his ideology is do not let them have a final chance to score and trust that you know your run game or, or your pass game is good enough to pick up yards to score a field goal. I know some people will like to see them get aggressive, but the way that the defense played in the first half – I, I I guess I can kind of see how you know again it's it's trusting what has gotten you to this point what's been dominant which is your number one defense and um you know being okay with with a ninth or a six six p- potential game at that point because they didn't have the field goal but Kyle Shanahan I, I think ended up <laughs> not on purpose but he ended up managing that situation about his great as you can because dallas had no time left after robbie gold hits the field goal to put you up by three um so it it was an interesting sort of sequence there towards the tail end of the first half i I don't know what you thought about it i didn't agree with it in the moment uh and kyle shannon actually said that if they didn't get those points like he could hear the fans screaming at him he knew that they'd be coming down his road but at the end of the day he got the three points and whether you want to say he got bailed out or not is on you
0: well, I hate to break it to you, Kyle, but fans are yelling at you regardless of if you got the points or not. I mean, you were a second <laughs> away from not getting the points because Brock Purdy held on to the ball. Well, that's, for not, on
1: it's, that's it's not, not on, on him. That's
0: not on him. But you got a rookie quarterback in a playoff game. I mean, I give yourself a couple seconds leeway. And I, I know that Brock Purdy held on to it for a little bit. And you, you're the head coach. I, I don't know. I mean, they they almost
1: didn't get the points. I, he, I, he did let him know, and he did. Uh, that was kind of a funny. <laughs> that was a funny interaction too. After the game, you know, someone asked him, "Hey, did like were you screaming at Purdy? You know, through your through your play sheet or whatever? You know?" And he goes, "No, nah, I never scream."
0: <laughs> oh, Kyle, sure, we believe you. Uh, yeah, but-
1: there, there's a lot of smiles post game. I want to make sure it was it wasn't combative or you know oh, confrontational yeah. at all.
0: Hundred percent. I feel like the issue I have with that drive isn't necessarily that they called the runs. So you mentioned after the interception, it was first and ten from the twenty-eight, a minute fifteen. Debo Samuel up the middle for eight yards, then McCaffrey for a yard. That play to McCaffrey, the the one yard gain, uh started with about fifty-six seconds left on the clock. The one yard run should take what, four seconds max? So you should be able to call a timeout with fifty seconds left, right? Like if you're,
1: tick, 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 tick. if you
0: really want to go down and try to get points, you should be able to call a timeout relatively quickly. Forty-five seconds left. That is even that is, you know, you're you're letting too much time go off the clock. They call the timeout with thirty, or they they pardon me. They didn't call. Yeah, they call the timeout with thirty yeah, seconds left. Yeah, yeah. With thirty seconds left, they let an extra twenty seconds. Roll off the clock before calling a timeout. And I get it, what you said and what Shanahan said. That was a third and one. If they don't convert there, they punt back to Dallas. Dallas has, what, 20 seconds left. They can't do much. Whatever. Probably the half's over. But it's a third and one. You're converting that. Whether or not you want to go down and get points or not, you're converting that. So why don't you call a timeout earlier? Maybe you break one on third and one. Even if you're not trying to score, something can change. Give yourself enough time to go down and score. I don't know. I'm not a fan of how conservative that was at the halftime break. If you have a lead, if you're already up seven, if you're up 10 and you just want to make sure that the momentum doesn't totally change before halftime, okay, maybe I can understand it. But in a tie game where your offense is just searching for some rhythm, I don't know. I feel like you should go down and try to score, at least be a little bit more aggressive than that. Now, with that said, they still did get down and got into field goal range. But who knows what they would have been able to do if they had those extra 20 seconds back. Perhaps they they find a streaking George Middle or George Kittle over the middle. Who knows? Um, so I just wish there was a little bit more urgency from Shanahan in trying to score late in halves because it's kind of been a recurring theme. This is kind of the first time we've seen it pop up with Brock Purdy. And I don't know how you felt up in the press box at at Levi's Evan, but me watching at home, I kind of felt like I was transported back into the Jimmy Garoppolo era. That is kind of what this felt like Kyle Shanahan, not totally trusting his quarterback.
1: That's a good point. And and something that hopefully won't have to see for the rest of the playoffs, but something (laughs) tells me might rear its ugly head at some point. Uh, This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark, Randy, Evan, Giddings. Feel free to download, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, Well, let's maybe talk about one of the reasons why he didn't choose to go forward immediately. chose to run 20 seconds off the clock. Maybe it was the fact that uh, his quarterback did not perform as well as we've seen. And there's been such a high bar set by Brock Purdy throughout this year. But 19 of 29, 214. No scores. Most importantly today, Mark, no turnovers yet again for Brock Purdy. What did you make of his performance? And now being the third rookie quarterback to have won two playoff games in his first postseason trip, the others being... Mark Sanchez in 2009 with the Jets and Joe Flacco in 2008 with the Ravens.
0: Just an elite group that he joined right there. Wow, great things. Literally great things in store. Quite elite. <laughs> great things in store for Brock Purdy. There, there's one a,
1: Super Bowl in that group?
0: Yeah, there's 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 one Super Bowl. Um, I don't know, Brock Purdy, it it was a little uneven at times, but I give him the benefit of the doubt because for much of that first half he was being harassed endlessly. Uh, sacked a couple of times uh, in this game, Uh, maybe took a little bit too long to get some balls out. I don't know, watching, you know, at home on my television, a little more difficult. You probably have a better sense of this than I do. Normally when the Niners, you know, go into their play action, there are openings down the field. They would run their play action fakes in the first half. Evan Purdy would be looking, didn't see anyone and, and ultimately would try to dance around, take a sack, throw it away, run, try to get a yard or two. It seemed to me like he was a little hesitant to take chances, which you can understand in a game like this, a turnover here or there can be the difference in this game. Just seemed to me he was a little hesitant or unsure of himself, but I'm not going to blame him for that, Evan. I think this is a case of the, the Cowboys defensive line. Uh, Really dominating the Niners' O line for that first half, and their coverage better, I think, than I was expecting. It was going to be down the field. They stayed with Brandon Ayuk. I know I predicted a big Brandon Ayuk game. He only had two catches, so that's well. A- if you cut
1: that first deep one, or at True. least in that jump ball, it might have been a little bit different.
0: Maybe, but uh, that's a, a major L for me. Um, I think I would more so credit the Cowboys defense as opposed to come down Purdy's road. Ultimately, the numbers aren't too bad. I think uh, he he had a better second half. He hit some chunk plays. The, the bobble catch to Kittle was a big one. That really turned the game. That was a huge moment. But the first half was a little difficult for Purdy and the offense and specifically the passing game. But I think most of the credit Evan goes to the Cowboys' defense. Dan Quinn certainly knows how to scheme them up. They were ready, and that defensive line was was dominant for much of this game, and and made things really, really difficult for the quarterback.
1: Yeah, it it looked like Dallas' defense was familiar with what Kyle Shanahan wanted to do, which would make sense. Stan Quinn was the head coach in Atlanta when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. They know what each other wants to do. And, of course, having faced each other last year in the postseason, it was kind of a game of, of cat and mouse. I think with Brock Purdy, to me, and, again, how I, I kind of view Brock Purdy and his success is based on how well the 49ers run the football. And as we discussed in the first half, they didn't do it. They had 27 yards on the ground. I know they ended up with you know, about 119. It was about three and a half a pop, 30-plus carries on the day. So in the second half, they got back to basics. And even though Brock Purdy wasn't explosive through the year, he made the plays, again, when Kyle Shanahan demanded him to, whether it be on third downs, whether it be – not making the big mistake. And and quite frankly, the way that Brock Purdy and the 49ers won this football game was by Brock Purdy, not playing like Dak Prescott, which was the ultimate peak and Valley performance that I have seen from a quarterback from the first game, last Monday against Tampa Bay to this game here against San Francisco. Dak Prescott was the reason why the Cowboys lost this football game tonight because he made too many turnover-worthy plays. I know that Brock Purdy may have made one you know, or two close ones here and there, but for the most part, did a really good job of taking care of the football, not taking sacks. I know he was sacked twice, but that's more because of what Dallas was doing, like you mentioned. So Brock Purdy didn't make the big mistake And in a game that's only a score difference and a game that could have gone either way, depending on how Dallas either took advantage of the first half or how the 49ers capitalized on the turnovers in the first half. To me, it was it was a fine football game for Brock Purdy, and that's what you need of your quarterback for a rookie in this situation to play the way that he did. He wasn't amazing. But again, they don't need him to be when that number one defense plays up to the level that it did today against, again, an offense that scores about 27 and a half. So, you know, I I, I don't think it's time to panic or, you know, like you said, come down his road. Um, but it is something to, to pay attention to, because I do think we saw maybe some limitations against, again, the, the best defense that he's faced thus far uh, that we haven't seen in the past.
0: Yeah, and I I think a performance like this, despite the fact that, you know, it's very plain to see, not his best game, not this offense's best game. I even think something like this, when you still come out with a win against a really quality opponent, that's something that can give you confidence moving forward. You start realizing, hey, you know, I don't need to be elite. I don't need to be incredible every time out for our team to have a chance to win. I think that can calm you down and lead you to success down the road. But you're spot on when you're talking about the mistakes Uh, he made. There was one throw that should have been intercepted. It was tipped at the line. Yeah, and then Diggs Diggs dropped it. Diggs, it went right through his hands. That that was as easy of an interception as as he'll have in a long time. Luckily for the 49ers, he dropped it. And it was in the red zone. It was. That was one that got away for Brock Purdy, tipped at the line. It's not like it was an incredibly wayward throw that that resulted in that, but he, he needs to get it up and over those D linemen a little bit better for him to be able to connect with his target. Uh, but Brock, or pardon me, but Dak Prescott, you mentioned he was the more mistake prone quarterback. He also threw a red zone interception. Diamondor Lenore had an interception as well in the first half that set up a Niner score. That was just a field goal, but not a touchdown, but, but still an important play there. The Cowboys, uh, you know, not even just Dak Prescott, but the team as a whole had a gigantic mistake late in the third quarter. It was that Christian McCaffrey touchdown drive that spanned 10 plays that also included the George Kittle bobbling catch uh, that set up the team down on the positive side of the field. There was a third and nine, Evan, about a minute left in the third quarter. And Brock Brady was sacked. Uh, but there was a defensive hold on George Kittle as he was running his route before Brock Purdy was sacked, and Brock Purdy admitted in the postgame saying, I was looking for Kittle on that play, so maybe if there wasn't a defensive holding there, maybe he does complete a pass to Kittle. What's the first down, maybe a touchdown, who knows. Uh, but in a vacuum, that third and nine defensive holding, automatic first down, wipes off a sack, That was one of the bigger plays of the game. So you're right. Purdy did not make as many mistakes as Dak Prescott, heaven. That's a big reason why the 49ers won. But also the Niners as a team made fewer mistakes than Dallas as a team. The one big mistake that jumps out for the 49ers was Ray Ray McLeod's fumble on a punt return that turned into three points by the Cowboys. Other than that, no other backbreaking mistakes for the 49ers in this game on either side of the ball on any three sides of the ball, you know, offense, defense, or special teams. But the Cowboys, I can count three. The two interceptions from Dak Prescott and that defensive holding that extended the drive and turned it into seven points. The Niners just won, and, and that's a big reason they won the game.
1: Also, credit to Ray McCloud. I know that uh, a lot of those sort of – well, that, that specific play in which he fumbled, it wasn't on the kick, but yeah, – It wasn't a muff. Fun- it wasn't a muff, but on the return, and of course, uh, 11 years to the day, Kyle Williams here at, Le- well, not uh, at, Levi's, at Candlestick. It was the end of that. Don't bring up those memories. So there was a lot of that, I think, going around the stadium. There's a lot of groans and oohs and oh's, and here we go again. But credit to Raymond McLeod, his next return, busted for 53 yards and gets close to maybe housing one. So he bounced back. Ray Ray was resilient as were the 49ers and win 19 to 12. They move on to the NFC title game. So do you want to give some credit to, to Ray Ray McLeod? I know it didn't he was kind of beating himself up after the game.
0: Well, there's kind of been this, I don't know how to exactly to describe it. Funny talking point all season long. Ray Ray McLeod got in a habit of fumbling last year when he was a member of the Steelers. Yeah. I think what, like six fumbles, something, a, a big number, a lot too many. of fumbles last year. Too too many. Too many. Uh, way too many fumbles for ray ray mcleod so you know the thought of niner fans and you've seen it a lot even from from media members covering the team on twitter all year long was oh it's only a matter of time before ray ray you know fumbles like it's gonna happen at some point and it hadn't happened the entire regular season didn't happen in the wild card around it happens here in the division round. but the niners are able to overcome it but i mean you're right it's the first time uh He's, he's put the ball on the ground all season long. Uh, really, it's it's the first negative play I, I can remember him making all year. He's not a, a regular offensive player, Evan. He is the team's punt returner and kick returner. Uh, that, that's where he gets most of his regular action. But he gets in the game offensively every so often. When Debo Samuel was out, he was more of a regular uh, wide receiver, made a handful of of nice catches this season, had that – that touchdown run earlier in the year. I think that was against Washington towards the end of the season. Uh, So he's had a lot of really good moments. And and this was the first time that I can remember off the top of my head, he had a a negative moment. So you're right. We got to give Ray Ray his credit. He's had a good season.
1: Well, and also too, I mean, his team picked him up. And and that's another big characteristic of this group is being able to overcome those kind of mistakes. And who knows if, if those type of, Issues might hurt them in the future, perhaps next week against Philly, or hopefully even further on in the Super Bowl if they should make it as far. Um, But I know Kyle Shanahan mentioned that being a moment in which you can sort of grab the momentum back because obviously Dallas gets the ball in plus territory right inside the red zone. And we're talking about, again, a team that converts over 70% of the red zone trips into touchdowns. They only did that once today, and that was a big opportunity for San Francisco to stand tall defensively, and they did it. So they were up to the task and were able to help Ray Ray McLeod, who then bounces back and helps the 49ers along to a victory. So, you know, that was a, a galvanizing moment for the group as well. Uh, this is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Mark Grandy, you can follow him on social at Mark Randy, Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. I'm on social at eGiddings10 at 415ers on all social media platforms. So, Mark, speaking of which, obviously 49ers are moving on. Kyle Shanahan is now 6-2 in his... Three trips to the postseason, two wins in each of his first three trips to the playoffs. Uh funny note I saw is he passes Jim Harbaugh for postseason <laughs> victories as a 49ers head coach. Uh. Um but they're back in the conference title game. And I did tell you to book it, to lock it up. They're making the conference championship. So it is going to be at noon next Sunday in Philadelphia. What are your first thoughts? first from hearing that the Niners are in their third conference title game in the last four years, but also the fact that they got to go to where the one seed plays in the city of brotherly love. Um,
0: I think before I get to to this matchup, Evan, I need to give Kyle Shanahan some credit. I I know we just got done talking a little bit ago about how I wish he was a little more, I don't know, aggressive late Mm -hmm. in the first half. Uh, I was a little upset with some of the play calling. Curious All All that aside, can we take a moment to just think about how the narrative around Kyle Shanahan has changed? Do you remember a year ago, Evan, more than a year ago, let's say 13 months in December, when it was still up in the year if the Niners would make the playoffs towards the end of last regular season? Kyle Shanahan was in danger of only making the playoffs one time in his first five years at the helm of the 49ers. And there was legitimate talk about how the Niners would think about firing him if he failed to make the playoffs last year. That was legitimate conversation across the board nationally. That was part of the conversation. What do the Niners do if they miss the playoffs again? Kyle Shanahan, one playoff appearance in five seasons. What happens now? Of course, as everyone knows the story, they made the postseason a miraculous week 18 win on the road against the Rams. They beat the Cowboys on the road. They beat the Packers on the road. They barely lose to the Rams in the NFC title game. They fall just short of the Super Bowl, but a fantastic season for the 49ers. Now you fast forward another year later, the Niners are back in the NFC title game. And when Shanahan was in danger of one postseason appearance in five years, suddenly he has three NFC Championship game appearances in his last four seasons. The narrative has shifted around Kyle Shanahan. Not only should he be here for as long as he wants to be here, Evan, he is the best coach in the NFL and has the success to prove it. He has been incredible for the 49ers. And the fact that there was ever any conversation about, him potentially being on a hot seat, him potentially being fired is absurd. The the heights that he has brought this franchise to in his six years, no one else would be able to have the same success at the helm of the four downers. He has been incredible and he's finally getting the consistent results to prove it.
1: Wow. I feel like there should be a mic drop right there, Mark. That was <laughs> that was about as animated as we've seen you all year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think he I, deserves
0: it. I mean, three NFC. I, I know, you know, Andy Reid and the Chiefs have been to five straight NFC championship games. Okay, give Kyle Shanahan Patrick Mahomes and see what the hell happens. The same exact thing would happen. No other coach in the NFL, Evan, is going to three NFC title games in a four year span with Jimmy freaking Garoppolo and Brock Purdy as their <laughs> quarterbacks. Put some respect on Kyle Shanahan's name.
1: No, I have. I, I do respect the man. In fact, I have grown to appreciate him over the course of this season more so than I have in any of his years because of the adversity that he's overcome. Uh, I will say that with a top five defense and this year, number one, and which has been outside of injuries, top five, the entirety of the time that he has been in San Francisco. I don't think it's crazy to think that there are maybe not a ridiculous amount, but, Perhaps a few head coaches that could have gotten to a title game, and I'm sure there might be some fans out there that would tell you that there are a few other head coaches that might have won one of those title games or perhaps a Super Bowl. I don't want to make this about setting Kyle Shanahan back because, again, I think he's been fantastic. <laughs> he finally moved his regular season record above 500 this year. We'll have a chance to relitigate his uh, the, the Six narrative and two or in his playoffs. Oh my he is. god! No, no, that's that's something that you do not want to scoff at. I mean, look at Mike McCarthy. He's 0-4 against the 49ers in the playoffs. Has do, not been able to beat Green them.
0: Bay and, and, do and do do with Green with Bay
1: and two with the Cowboys. Two with the Cowboys. So, no, head coaching is vastly important. Kyle Shanahan has shown that he is at the top of his game and at the top of most people's lists. But uh, best coach in the NFL, head coach in the NFL, I don't know if I can go that far. I'm I'm sorry. I, f- I feel like it's, it's like we're having a conversation about movies and you know, you, we just saw a really, really good movie. And then you walk in and you're like, Oh, that's better than the Godfather. And I'm like, uh, well, I, I don't know what you want me to do. I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Maybe it's top five, but it's not top one. Uh, but that is something that, that we can certainly pay attention to.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I mean, there's uh Evans doing, you know, podcast in the Levi's Stadium press box. He's got to make way for yeah. No, I I feel bad.
1: No, I feel bad. I'm I'm getting in people's way here, and there's a lot of action going around. People finally getting back from the press conferences, and uh, everyone's trying to do real work as opposed to me who's just sitting here taking a space screaming at Kyle Shanahan. So. (laughs) Sorry about that brief pause, but no, Mark, I I look, I I see where you're coming from. And I do think this is a conversation we can have ad nauseum over the course of this summer. Uh, But I do want to give him credit. He is six and two in the playoffs. He's in his third conference title game in four years. That is nothing to scoff at. And I really hope that he's able to get over the hump this year because that would take him to newer heights uh, that very few head coaches have been in in his situation. Uh, But as far as the Eagles are concerned, they present a challenge. And I think we saw some of the areas that San Francisco is going into shore up today. Day against Dallas, if they want to beat Philadelphia, who basically cakewalked to the conference title game by shellacking New York in fashion that I'm not going to say I told you so, but uh, I kind of saw that one coming. The Eagles, Mark, are right now, I would say, the best team in the NFC. That does not mean that the 49ers cannot beat them in a single game winner take all elimination. But what do you want to see from this week to next week? if San Francisco has a chance to go on the road and steal it.
0: Uh, they're going to have to be able to throw the ball a little bit better. Um, I, I We talk a lot about the the Eagles defense and their defensive line is really good. Again, I mean, they, they're they breaking records with the number of sacks that they're getting. Um, you look at some of the numbers, if I can just pull up the, the stat here really quick, I know I do have it saved somewhere. Here it is. Most sacks in a single season in NFL history, including in the postseason, the Eagles, the third most all time, the 84 Bears, the 85 Bears, number one and number two, uh, the Eagles right there behind them with 75 total sacks. They passed the 1967 Raiders yesterday, uh, recording this here Sunday night. They passed them on Saturday with that win over the uh, the New York Giants. So that's still a, a really, really good defensive line the Niners are going to have to protect Brock Purdy better they're going to have to give him more time and they're going to have to be able to throw the ball a bit better if they want a chance to win this game and we'll dive into all the specifics later on throughout the week uh but if they're going to pass the ball better that likely means they're going to have to run the ball better specifically in the first half you're going to need to see more from Christian McCaffrey uh in the first half more explosive plays chunk plays six seven yards on the ground uh, because you're not going to be able to to limit the uh, Eagles, Evan, to just 12 points. They will put up more than 12 points. If if Jalen Hurts is walking around on one leg, they'll still probably put up at least 18 points. They are that good offensively. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys have C.D. Lamb. The, the Eagles have two receivers who are as good, if not better, than C.D. Lamb, N.A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They are difficult to handle. They have a 3 Uh, headed monster at running back you can also include jalen hurts in that dallas goddard is one of the best pass catching tight ends in the league the niners are going to have to score more they're gonna have to be more efficient offensively both in the pass game and the run game i think that's the the one thing that stands out to me um otherwise i think the results from this weekend evan just continue to reinforce how disgustingly overrated the Minnesota Vikings were because
1: the that, that was your takeaway. The,
0: the fact that the Giants go into Minneapolis uh, and beat the Vikings at uh, their own game, and then they follow it up and lose by thirty-one points to the boy. Eagles. The Vikings just disgust me. Jesus. Well, uh, then,
1: what do you think of the Buffalo Bills?
0: Oh man. I mean, Joe I know Burrow, at least they lost
1: lost to a quality opponent, but Joe
0: Burrow is special. He's just. I mean, they're pretty unfazed. much crowned
1: as the next three Super Bowl winners, the Buffalo Bills, this offseason.
0: I mean, I'm at a point where I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Burrow ever loses in the postseason. He's just as cool as any quarterback as I've ever seen in the playoffs, and he's in his third year. It's absolutely ridiculous.
1: Now Zach Taylor's five and one of the postseason mark. He's the best head coach in the NFL. <laughs> no just kidding just kidding no uh what 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 I do want to see corrected from this game and yeah we we kind of talked about the issues but it, it comes down to running the football I know that they tried to force feed Christian McCaffrey early in that game I think six of the first nine plays went to him through the run and the air um but Dallas to their credit said we're not gonna let 23 beat us today and it took You know, down the stretch, a great effort from Brock Brock Purdy, a bit of a reset from the offense. And to me, it took a Herculean effort from George Kittle, who was a guy that I love watching play football because he has so much fun. In the heat of battle, maybe more so than I see any player at least express that, you know, when they're making plays down the field on the sideline blocking Uh, George Kittle is just he's magnetic to watch and, and he always seems to draw my eye both when I'm watching him in person, as well as on television, Mark, we're talking about the the first down plays for the 49ers. Like I said, three and a half yards on first down in that first half. George Kittle all five of his catches were on first down and four of which were explosive. Those were drives that the 49ers didn't always and completely turn into points, but three out of the four, I believe, led to either field goals or the one touchdown. And George Kittle, to me, is is that guy that when if – Christian McCaffrey has been focused upon. Debo Samuel perhaps is not able to get open. Brandon Ayuk was was blanketed very well by Dallas today, who got a lot of pressure with four. George Kittle can be that guy for Brock Purdy, who he seems to just gravitate towards whenever he's in trouble. And for him to, you know, have the highlight play, but, you know, off the fingertips, off the fingertips juggling and, you know, dropping the dime in the middle of the 50-yarder, the that really excited and energized the crowd. Um, but to me, George Kittle was was fantastic today and he and he was the go-to option quite literally When in the second half, I think three of his catches came for about 60 yards in the second half. When he was getting loose down the middle of the field, Dallas had no answer to cover him. And because they spent so much energy focusing on whether it be CMC or Elijah Mitchell or stopping that running game, um, Brock Purdy was allowed some openings, I thought, to get the ball to Kittle. And he was a big part of the offense and maybe the most impressive part of the aerial attack that Brock Purdy got into a rhythm with in the second half.
0: Yeah, and Kittle's such a smart player. That highlight play that you're talking about, it was kind of a, a broken play to begin with, the one where he bobbled it. Everyone was selling out to the right side to set up I, I think it was a screen or, or a quick little hitch out to the right to Christian McCaffrey. I I think it was McCaffrey. It might have been Debo Samuel in the background. It was one of those one of those two that were rolling out to the right offensive line George Kittle other receivers were setting up to block downfield on that right side of the field but it was blown up by the Cowboys and George Kittle kind of sensing space just turned and ran upfield, and he was open and and Brock Purdy found him so not only is he you know physically able and, and he can go up and make catches and he's quick enough and he has a rapport with Brock Purdy. He's also this smart and cerebral football player where he can read the field in front of him and he can find those openings on plays, maybe that are relatively unscripted. He can find the soft spot in zone defenses and he can get in the right spot. And And we're getting to a point now, Evan, where Brock Purdy and George Kittle have that connection. It's been on display for a number of weeks now. So uh, if the Niners are to go into Philadelphia next week, uh, on Sunday, the 29th at noon Pacific time, three o'clock out in Philadelphia. And if they are able to go in and, and pull off what Vegas thinks would be a slight upset, George Kittle is going to have to have a big game because we talked about the run game. We talked about the pass game. This offense does not go without George Kittle having a good game, whether he's blocking or or catching balls from Brock Purdy, He's got to be a factor. He was a factor in this one for the Niners over the Cowboys, uh, they do not win if he's not as good as he was in a game where the, the passing game, the passing game really struggled. Evan, he had 95 yards. Uh, he was the, the team's best weapon through the air. Not even close. He had chunk play after chunk play, especially in the second half in a game where they could barely get anything going in the passing game. So, so Kittle was huge. And if the Niners are to get back to the Super Bowl, he's going to need to be huge again against Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I know we got a couple minutes left, Mark, and and that advantage that you're talking about i saw uh according to caesar's sportsbook line set at two points in favor of philly so minus two uh in favor of philadelphia at home so says on a neutral site basically 49ers might be favored in that game Maybe. so we'll, we'll see who hammers what and uh, i know mark we were both on the minus four despite having more points on the board but uh, check that off
0: hey i, I if- got the minus three and a half i jumped on that early and, well, I mean, and we both, and I, we both won, but
1: I I don't know if we mentioned this on the preview pod, but of course the stat that I've been uh, floating around was the fact that the Niners have now covered against the spread in their last six divisional round football games for all of you, uh, degenerates out there. I think that's going back to 2011 or something 11 like or 2012 different. either Arbaugh way era for sure. Yeah, I, I have
0: seen, uh, it opened at two. I have seen uh, across a couple books. It's down to two and a half. Uh, okay. If oh, it gets it's already to three, starting to move. If it it's gets to three, Evan, to move. I think I might jump on it there. I'm going to let it play out for a little bit. We'll see what, where the Philly? money comes in.
1: You'll you'll take Philadelphia.
0: No, if it gets to Niners oh, okay. plus three, I'll, hmm. I'll I'll take the Niners and the points. I think that's the getting up to three, getting to three and a half. Those are big half of points because you're you're field goal proof at that point. So we'll yeah, see how it how they it plays have not out. Been
1: dogs often this season. That's no, for haven't. sure. Uh, we'll have more. To dig into on Wednesday's episode and, of course, the preview episode coming on Friday. Download, rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Mark, game balls. Who you got?
0: I just got done talking about him. I think I got to give it to George Kittle. Uh, The Mm. big uh, bobbling catch down the middle of the field late in the third quarter that ultimately set up the Niners' only touchdown drive of the game, Evan. Uh, McCaffrey plunged in from a couple of yards out. Uh, That was a gigantic turning point in this game. Uh, He was good. Again, five catches, 95 yards in a game where the offense did not have much going through the air. He was there when Brock Purdy needed him. I think he gets my game ball. I'd be hard-pressed to find another game ball-worthy performance on offense, Evan. I think George Cato is probably the guy to go to on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on offense, although... Well, no, he's he's not an offense. He's responsible for points. I do want to give a shout out to Robbie Gold, who knocked home four field goals today, was responsible for the most points of any member of the San Francisco 49ers. Sorry, I'm I'm not laughing because it's funny.
0: (laughs) Time stops for no one except for Robbie Gold, 40 years old, and he's drilling 50 yard field goals in the playoffs like it's nothing.
1: Yeah, and he was knocking them home from 55 in pregame, despite the winds being a lot more rough than they were during the game. And I think his postseason consecutive kicks or field goals made are at 29. They're they're around 30. I'm not sure if it's above or below, but uh, he has been good as gold. I mean, he's, he's been absolutely fantastic in the postseason, so he gets a shout-out, uh, but my game ball has got to go to a member of the defense, and it's got to go to the guy who led the charge, in my opinion, the majority of the night, and that's Fred Warner. Uh, he's been the leader of this team the entire season on defense. Nine tackles to lead everyone. He obviously had the interception off the the tip play by Jimmy Ward. He had a tackle for loss, and he made what I thought was one of the bigger plays of the game when, when Dallas in the second half was driving down the field. They hit cd lamb for the 41 yarder up the sideline which turned out to be the biggest offensive play of the game for either side and then they go right back to lamb on a third down later in that drive fred warner is the one covering him up the middle and does a great job of not putting his hands on him the ball falls a little bit short i know Dak prescott wasn't great today but i thought it was a decent throw fred warner puts himself between that football which would have put dallas on the edge of the goal line and he was everywhere. I mean, there was a play in which he kind of split the lineman in the first half and just drove through the middle. That was his tackle for loss. Uh, But Dallas felt his presence all over the football field. And I think, he was the symbol of physicality today in the game. That was the reason you won the football game, in my opinion. Your defense first. Fred Warner led the charge, and that's why I think they got the win. So he gets my game ball.
0: Yeah, that play you're talking about where he was guarding C.D. Lamb down the middle when he forced the incompletion. Also, credit him because he got his head around at the last second. They might have called DPI if he didn't. So a heady play by a linebacker, a play that not many defensive backs make, but a linebacker made it. Um And, you know, if you were to go through every linebacker, Evan, in the NFL that could stick with C.D. Lamb and then get his head around and force an incompletion on a play and on a throw like that, the only one that could do it, I think, is, is Fred Warner. There's no other linebacker in the NFL who can do what he did on that play. And then you mentioned that tackle for loss where he split through the offensive line and kind of a spear tackle of Tony Pollard with his hand as he's falling down to the ground. He, mm-hmm. he can beat you in so many different ways, so good pick. Fred Warren is yeah, certainly deserving of a game ball.
1: I, I know we're talking about the best ofs across this episode. I don't know if he's the best middle linebacker in the league. He is damn close. If you want to make a case for someone else, I'll hear you out. But he's absolutely the most versatile linebacker that I have seen in the NFL this year. And maybe that makes him the best. Maybe it doesn't. But he is high on that list because of everything that you just mentioned. So definitely shout out to uh, to Fred Warren. Also a great leader for this football team. Uh, but that's all the time we got, Mark, here in this episode of the 415 podcast i appreciate you man and i'm looking forward to wednesday we got a lot to talk about conference championship week
0: we got an awful lot to get into evan should be a really (laughs) fun week wednesday we'll uh, dive more into the matchup what it means and then of course on friday we'll break down every angle of this game get you ready for sunday in philadelphia noon kickoff out here on the west coast three o'clock in philadelphia it is the first game of championship week uh the rematch from last year kansas city cincinnati is the prime time game so We'll know whether the Niners are in the Super Bowl and you'll be watching your future opponent potentially uh, coming up on Sunday. But it should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it, Evan.
1: Yeah, no doubt. 49ers beat the Cowboys here at Levi's Stadium nineteen twelve. Uh, for Mark, I'll be signing out for Levi's Stadium. Looking forward to Wednesday's episode and Friday's episode. One more week of football, at least for the 49ers. We hope that it's a couple more, uh, but this was certainly a fun one here today as they beat the Cowboys to move on to the title game. So that does it all for the 415ers here. Appreciate you tuning in to the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next time.